Every corner of the digital universe. You can instant link to the internet. And Strad Emailer E3 video phone. Technology called eye smell. Smelling mold and mildew and animals. Man, I gotta smell the swamp today. Welcome to Water Cooled Potato, your guide to the obsolete and absurd tech of the past, present, and future. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And today we'll be talking about iOmega zip drives. Zip drives. Yeah. So. For this one, we're heading all the way back to 1994. So, in 1994, there weren't that many options for removable storage for your computer. Oh, boy. There were floppy disks. Those were by far the most common and universal. But even high-density 3.5-inch floppy disks only held 1.44 megabytes. Oh, so the floppy disk that I found in a coat it was five megabytes that was high end apparently i did not know that existed that's interesting anyway so options for moving large files around were pretty limited if you needed to move a massive amount of data say 50 megabytes from one computer to another well you could use 35 floppy disks or carry around a hard drive there were other ways to move large amounts of data around, like tape drives, something called Bernoulli Box, mm. and maybe a few other things, but for the most part, solutions like those were either too expensive or complicated for most people to want to deal with. Mm-hmm. This brings us to the iOmega Zip 100. Oh, it's not a 1,000, just a 100. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 100 actually means something. Oh, okay. For once, a number attached to the end of a name <laughs> means something. So, in 1994, iOmega released the Zip 100 drive and disks. This amazing new system can store up to 100 megabytes Whoa. on a removable disk. That's huge in 1994. Yeah, and it's small. Pretty much the same size as a three and a half inch floppy, just a bit thicker. Wow. Yeah. With a zip disk, you can store the equivalent of about 70 floppy disks. 70, yeah. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And there's more. Zip drives are fast. They have a max transfer speed of 1.4 megabytes per second. That's wow. like filling an entire floppy disk in a second. Pretty much. So, for the time, that's incredible. And for comparison, floppy disks max out at around 15 kilobytes per second. Ouch. Zip drives are also pretty responsive. They have a seek time of about 28 milliseconds compared to 200 milliseconds for a floppy disk. 200? Holy cows. Wow. Yeah, well, if you think about it, floppy drives had like a screw on a motor. Mm. that would rotate and then push the head back and forth. Mm. So you had like a motor turning a screw. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be that fast. Yeah. Bunch of moving parts. Yeah. So zip drives weren't exactly cheap, but in general, computer equipment was expensive in the 90s. Yeah. The zip drive plus one disk cost about $200. 
roughly 350 today. Wow. And additional discs were just 20 bucks a piece, $35 today. For the time, that wasn't bad, especially since the drives were so fast and could store so much. Mm-hmm. You'd probably be spending at least that much on an equivalent number of floppy disks, probably a lot more. Mm-hmm. And the way that these disks work is kind of interesting. The disks are somewhat similar to hard drives, but the read-write heads are in the drive and everything else is in the removable disk. The heads enter the disk through a small hole along the edge and move in and out to read data from different areas of the disk. The read-write heads are attached to the end of a very thin arm and ride in and out on a thin steel rod. Overall, the suspension system that holds the heads is very delicate. Mm -hmm. The system that pushes and pulls the heads uses a voice coil, kind of like what you'd find in a speaker. Okay. So it uses magnetism, electromagnetism, to push and pull the reed head. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why it can move so quickly. Oh. Because if you think of how quickly a speaker can move, mm -hmm. it's basically doing that. And the drive also had a safety system that snaps the heads back into the parking position if the drive unexpectedly loses power. That's to make sure that the heads don't end up resting on the disc and destroying it. In fact, the safety retraction system is so fast that the engineers had to add rubber washers to dampen the impact when the heads come to rest. <laughs> this was necessary to prevent the delicate suspension system from being damaged. Mm-hmm. There were also larger capacity zip disks released later. Ooh. 250 megabyte <gasps> and 750 megabyte. That's a modern CD. Yeah. But for now, we're just focusing on the original 100 megabyte disks. Okay. So the disks are fast. They hold massive amounts of data and are relatively affordable. What's the catch? <laughs> well, you know that I wouldn't have picked this topic unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Very bad marketing? <laughs> no, the, actually, the marketing was fine, and it sold well, hmm. fairly well. Legal action. Mm, well. <laughs> okay, I'll stop guessing. Here we go. <laughs> Turns out the heads in zip drives were prone to failure. Oh. Catastrophic failure, in fact. Oh, which makes it pretty much useless. So, the best part is how they could fail in so many unique and interesting ways. What? So, the heads can become misaligned, dust can make its way into the disk build up on the heads, and since the drives weren't magnetically shielded, oh no. any magnet oh no. sitting near the drive uh. could seriously mess with your day. Especially since, remember how that system that moves and stabilizes the read-write heads is magnetic? Mm-hmm. So if you have, say, a computer speaker sitting too near your zip drive, Oh, it's going to mess with the suspension system, the system that moves the read-write heads, and also possibly the data on the disk. Yay! Yeah. 
Seems like maybe they should have magnetically shielded it. Yeah, maybe. But they didn't. And that could throw your heads out of alignment, which could basically destroy the drive. And make it useless. Yeah. Yep. Destroy the drive and the disk. Oh, yeah. yeah. So your data, too. Yay. Yeah, good thing these held 100 megabytes. Now you can lose even more of your data at once. <laughs> that's an interesting way to look at it. But that's not the worst part. Of course not. Here's the bad part. Oh, boy. So you remember that delicate suspension system that we talked about earlier? Mm-hmm. That the heads ride back and forth on? Mm-hmm. Remember how the engineers added rubber padding? It somehow interferes with it? No. The rubber padding actually turns out to be a very good idea. You see, it's necessary to soften the impact when the heads slam back into park after a power loss. But, as part of a manufacturing cost reduction effort, Someone at iOmega decided it would be a terrific idea to remove the little rubber pads. I knew it. I knew it. <sighs> Great. That must have saved them a whole 10 cents per unit. Totally worth it, don't you think? No, because that is a very small per. Is that even one percent of the total manufacturing cost? Ten cents is a guess, and I have no idea what it cost them to manufacture. True. But I highly doubt that removing two small rubber pieces from the manufacturing saved enough to be worth it. Probably not. But this is the type of thing that you hear about happening making some stupid little change mm -hmm. to a design to save maybe 10 cents on manufacturing. And then it doesn't turn out well. And there's a reason that the engineers put that part in the design. It's because you need that part. Well, you see, if you look at it from a management's perspective, it will save the company more money. Yeah, and that's why things go horribly wrong when managers stop listening to the engineers. Yeah, I bet you can tell me a whole story on that. Yeah, kind of like <laughs> with the shuttle disaster. But let's not go down that today. So, as you probably guessed, things went bad when you start removing parts of the design. Mm -hmm. So now, when a power failure retraction occurs, the heads slam into park with nothing to cushion their slam, and that damages the suspension system. No kidding. And it causes the heads to crash into the disc. Yay! Yeah. Now, I'm not sure what the tolerances were like on these discs, but I have heard from an engineer who worked on hard drives that the distance of a read-write head from the platter on a modern hard drive is the equivalent of flying a 747 like 10 feet off the ground or something like that. Mm -hmm. So saying the heads crashed into the platter. Oh, yeah. It's 
It's like an actual crash. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Yeah. They're not supposed to touch. They're supposed to fly over the surface. Mm-hmm. If the heads crash into the surface, it damages the heads and the platters. Yep, which wrecks your data. Uh-huh. Now, here's where we get to the real fun part. So, the heads will become misaligned. The heads would crash into the disk, effectively destroying all the data on the disk. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, in rare cases, the heads could even be ripped completely off. What? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's not all. It can get even worse. Uh... If you insert a damaged disk into another perfectly good drive, it'll destroy that drive as well. And then it will destroy every other disk that you put into that drive. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so it's like it it can almost spread like a virus. (laughs) You have one disk... OneDrive fail, you think, oh, maybe it's just the drive. I'll try the disk in another drive. You try that disk in the other drive. You maybe don't even realize that it's damaged the other drive. You just think, oh, it's a bad disk. Then you grab another disk. Guess I'll try my backup. Put your backup in and destroy your backup. Uh... Yeah. So... Iomega responded to the disaster by blaming third-party disks. Yeah, sure. What? Uh They also claimed it wasn't really that bad. Want to know what their reasoning was? What? Oh, you know, they estimate that the failures are only 1 in 200, so it's fine. 1 in 200? Yeah. How often, though? I don't know. But, like, so for every 200 drives, one fails? I don't think that's... I doubt that's accurate, though, because that came from them. So here's the fun part. The noise that these drives would make when they were failing was a clicking sound. Because what would happen is the heads would be misaligned. So the heads would come out, go into the disk, try to read the disk, fail to read the disk, because... Either the disc is damaged or the heads are damaged. Mm -hmm. And then the controller on the disc snaps the heads back to the park position, which, remember, there's no rubber pads anymore, so that's not great. And then it tries again. Uh. And then it snaps back and tries again and repeats. Basically destroying itself. (laughs) Well, it doesn't help. Anyway... The noise, the very distinctive clicking noise these made, became known as the click of death. (laughs) No kidding. And to make this even better, around the same time, iOmega launched another product called the click. What? (laughs) What? So they... (sighs) had a product like named something very similar to what people were calling the massive failures of another one of their products not a not a great thing marketing wise yeah yeah they changed the name of their click discs pretty quickly after that 
I sure hope so. So, in the end, with all these disks and drives failing, there was, of course, a class action lawsuit. Yeah? Because there always is. Mm-hmm. And they definitely deserved it. Mm-hmm. And the people won. Good. Unfortunately, they were compensated with credit toward an iOmega product. What? Yeah. That Not even cash? No. No. So, you mean to tell me, I buy this product, I put my precious data on it, lose it, and all I get is credit to buy other stupid products? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand, like, what judge let them get away with that. I just... Yeah, that's basically saying, oh, slap on the wrist, shame on you. You have to give all your people credit now for your business because they're not going to buy from you. So you're basically getting off the hook. Yeah, because, like, what customer is going to want to touch another iOmega product after they just lost... You know, maybe they lost weeks of work because Only. because their dr- their disk and their drive died, and then they tried their backup and it destroyed their backup, and then they tried their other backup and it destroyed their other backup. Who knows? Mm. Big mess. Yeah. So that's about all with that one. But I think we have time to briefly cover something strange that I came across in my research. Oh, boy. All right. So let me tell you about the iTypewriter. What's with all this i stuff? Well, so this one's actually an accessory for the iPad. So it actually... I mean, it kind of makes sense to stick an i in front of it, although I think that's kind of cringy to just stick an i in front of everything. I was afraid it was Apple. Yeah. Well, it's not actually... So this is not made by Apple. Oh. I'm not entirely sure if this thing ever actually got made because I just I hope it didn't. Mm, okay. It probably made its way to Kickstarter. I'm not sure. There's not a ton of information about it. But there is a YouTube video from 2012 with over 700,000 views. So wow. some people paid attention to this. Yeah. So I'm guessing this is the original first gen iPad. So, typing on the iPad is such a pain, right? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. I I've don't never, remember. I've never done it. Typing on a touchscreen is not great when it's so big that you can't just use your thumbs. Oh. So, I imagine typing on an iPad isn't great. Yeah. Unless you want to, like, lay it down on the table and mm-hmm. try to type on it like a real keyboard, but yeah. not being able to feel the keys. I don't imagine that would go very well. I've tried it with large touchscreen devices with on-screen keyboards, and it, it doesn't work very well. So wanting some way other than the on-screen keyboard to type is understandable. Not that you really should be typing much on your iPad. I don't know why you would try to do actual work on an iPad, especially a first-gen iPad back in 2012. Mm. The iPad Pro now, at least you can, like, be kind of productive, I think. Anyway, Mm. back to the subject here. So 
some people prefer mechanical keyboards. Mm-hmm. Some people prefer to go even farther back. To typewriters? Exactly. Uh... So, imagine that you could combine a typewriter and an iPad. The i-typewriter designed by Austin. So, with this beautiful contraption, you can place your iPad into the top of it and press typewriter-like keys. Hammers oh. will then fly up and strike the screen of your iPad in the location corresponding to the letter you want to type. In this demo video, the person is typing very, very slowly. Painfully slowly, in fact. Which makes yeah. me question whether it can go faster. Doubt it. Also, the annoying whack sound it makes every time a hammer flies up and bashes against the screen of the iPad would get annoying to me very, very quickly. And this person's not even using proper typing techniques. They're just doing, I'll use this finger, um, this hand, this finger now, the same finger on a different key, uh, this hand, this finger. Like, this, yes. this person's not a typist. That is known as the hunt and peck method. Yeah, except when I was doing that, I at least used the same fingers. So I was a little bit faster than that person. Yeah. Okay. This is painful to watch. This is typewriter for... Sorry. This is iTypewriter for iPad user can enjoy the old... Still typing. <laughs> yes. My guess is this guy is managing about five to ten words per minute. Maybe. Oh, it's an old feeling. Yes. <laughs> I doubt it. I highly doubt it. <laughs> no one... No one has experienced this before because this is not a typewriter. <laughs> yeah, it's not the click 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 as you're typing it's the boom da boom da boom like what? No. Yeah. And also it's only the width of an iPad and I'm not sure that's large enough to be easy to type on. Oh, yeah, true. The top comment. Why poor iPad is getting hammered to death. <laughs> yeah. Also, someone here commenting that they got an actual typewriter for, like, $50. Huh. I don't know if this thing was ever sold anywhere. I don't know if it made it to Kickstarter. I hope not, but it mm. probably did. I couldn't find a lot about it, and honestly didn't want to spend too long on this and take away from the research on the actual topic. <laughs> but I thought this was... Pointless enough that I should include it. Well, you see, you can make an, another adapter for the iPad so you can use those discs. So that way, the reader it will be the it will be the discs' fault, not the reader when the discs die. And then you can be super unproductive. You can type very slowly and awkwardly on your weird i typewriter. And then you can also put all your data on, well, 2012 kind of small disks. And so it'll be like CDs, but not. Yeah. Another thing that I was going to talk about is that iOmega 
did continue on to make other interesting storage devices. They basically made, I forget what the one was called, but one of their products was called the iOmega Rev Drive. And what? it was basically a hard drive. Like it had a platter in it, like a hard drive. Mm-hmm. And then it was removable. You would insert it into a drive and then read-write heads would go into the disk and read. What? So it's another removable storage device like these disks. Okay. So the disk, the removable disk, has a hard drive platter in it. Mm-hmm. But the, everything else is in a drive that you insert this into. And okay. it has... So then the read-write heads are not part of the removable disk. Oh. Yeah. So, like, all mm. the electronics, the read-write heads, everything like that is in the drive, and then the removable disk just has a motor to spin the platter and the platter. That's it. Weird. And these could hold, I think, like 120 gigabytes. What? Yeah. These were released later. Like in the 2000s. Oh, yeah. I was going to say 120 gigabytes. Yeah. I'd be really surprised if that was in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know a lot about the reliability of those drives. I don't imagine it's a terrific idea to yeah. have the read write heads not be sealed in. Because, oh, mm-hmm. like any other hard drive you're going to get, is going to be sealed. Mm-hmm. Some even have like helium inside Mm -hmm. so they're completely sealed off yeah i don't think it's a good idea to have a hole in the side of the drive or a hole in the side of the disc the amount of holes you need to have for the read write heads to be separate Mm -hmm. i can't imagine that's a good idea because all it takes is like a particle of dust probably just a particle of dust Mm -hmm. and bye-bye data but (laughs) I i don't know I did pick up one of these iOmega Rev discs in a thrift store back a few years ago. What? I got like three of the 120 gigabyte discs for like a dollar a piece. Wow. Yeah. And I've got two of them sitting in my closet and I took apart one of them and it's sitting on display on the top shelf of my desk. Oh. So you don't have one with you? Aw. I do don't because I'm unprepared. I mean, I can show it to you after. Oh, okay. You've probably seen it before. Hmm. Do you uh, want to describe it or? Well, okay. I mean, eh, they're not interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, I would say that the discs are probably the same width as a laptop size hard drive but not quite as long okay i think like the platter is probably the same size so imagine something big enough to hold just the platter of a laptop hard drive okay and then those go into a reader and when i got these when i saw 120 gigabytes on the label and then $1 <laughs> I didn't stop to find out what they were or how they worked. Oh, I just bought them. Of course. This, this was a while ago, though, um, so that's my 
other excuse. <laughs> and then when I got them home and started trying to figure out what on earth they were and how to use them, I discovered that finding a drive to put these discs in was not easy <laughs> and also expensive, like very, very expensive, like hundreds of dollars on eBay for a drive to what? stick these discs into. Yeah, not worth it at all. No? Not worth it at all. But I do think the idea is kind of interesting. Like mm-hmm. separating the read-write heads and electronics from the platters. Yeah, it just makes everything super, super complicated. Yeah. It makes it more complex, more prone to failure. It is a cool idea. I think it's a cool idea. It's not a good idea. There's a lot of cool ideas that aren't good ideas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you know what would be a good idea? Heading on over to our Patreon and supporting us. Or just giving us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Or, most importantly, sharing the podcast. If you think your friends would be interested... Share it with them. Email us with feedback. We're happy to hear from fans. WCPPodcastMail at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Okay. Bye.